Welcome back to the Say Their Names podcast. This is part two with our conversation with Mary Margaret. Um, Part one was cut abruptly. As you may have noticed, I had some trouble with the software. Hopefully this time around, um, you'll get to hear the conversation and um, it will be edited a little bit better. So without any further ado, here's a second half of our conversation with Mary Margaret. How, How should people respond to specifically to mothers? When, when, when they know they've lost a child? I mean, I can speak for myself. I don't think I can speak sort of completely for others. I'm sure there are people that want to be left alone. and Not that I needed everyone to pursue me because that would be completely overwhelming. Um, for me, it was generally, like I said, in returning to work. And being around those acquaintances that you know I hadn't necessarily spoken to in detail in the aftermath, like I did maybe a good friend, but just the acknowledgement of sort of what had happened, I felt like it just sort of diffused the intense underlying anxiety that I had of really just knowing that I didn't have a lot of control over my emotions. I was mm. someone who grew up with brothers and a lot of emotions and were not necessarily had and control of emotions was definitely a prioritized um, personality trait I guess and so to be very cognizant of the fact that like nothing could be going on just something mentally could trigger me having nothing to do with you know people around me I think having at least the acknowledgement from the people that I was around that something had happened that if I had, you know, got upset or whatever, I didn't feel so awkward and weird and whatnot. And, and I'm sure that's more driven by personality. I don't know if others would feel as <laughs> feel as uh, awkward and whatnot, but rather just sort of embrace the place that they are. I think. God, I'm, I don't know how many times I was just talking to somebody and just would tear up. Mm-hmm. And. I couldn't tell you what it was now. I'm sure I probably could have told you then. I was pretty aware of what what it was, but I didn't feel shame about feeling emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a friend who kind of worked in a different division of my, I say friend, I I think we're friends. Um, Certainly workplace proximity associates, uh, to quote Ron Swanson. And um, when... People, we were at the age when people would say, do you have children? Yes, I was going to say, the things that stick out of my mind are the, you know, oh, do you have children? How many? Or whatever. Or like the attending that I sat across a microscope from as he was telling me about his son and asked me if I had kids. I didn't know how to answer. Yeah, and she just told me, she goes, say whatever you want. (laughs) And she was, I, I, I mean, took it as gospel truth she was um a highly successful woman but she was also um somebody who was deeply uh connected to people mm-hmm. and so it didn't come across as callous she said it's your story 
it's your life. Mm-hmm. If you want to share it, then share. And if you don't, you don't. Right. And I felt that that was the first time I felt freedom because until that point, someone would say, do you have children? And I thought, I cannot say I don't have children because I love Anna and I have Anna. And then I have to tell people that I lost Anna and that I'm going to cry and they're going to feel awkward. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> and she said, no, it's their problem if they feel awkward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so at that point, I remember being, have feeling the freedom of, of like, if this is a person I want to share with, I will. Yeah. Um, and how I make that decision is up to me, but but I will. And yeah. God, that was some of the most freeing advice I had experienced in the, in the months after. It took after me a while to embrace that. I remember you telling me that and me being like, okay, I can do whatever. Basically I can do whatever I want. Like somehow someone has control over me. Um, you are your own woman. You ain't got no time. <laughs> right. Or no but man. I remember you telling me that and me being like, okay, okay, I can do what I want. And still like, that the question of like do you have children would just be so absolutely jarring and would catch me off guard and it took time and even just like practice for me to be able to choose in the scenario of like what is my answer going to be and I also have this like weird internal obligation to tell the truth all the time when like it doesn't I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but like in a grocery store conversation, like who cares if I tell the person that's, you know, helping me with my groceries that I have kids or not. Um, but I, like I said, I feel like it took. Or like when people say, how are you? And you're like, <laughs> well, I cried this morning. <laughs> you're right. And then uh, around this afternoon, I kind of zoned out. And. Uh, but yeah, it took a while for me to. I'm going to overeat tonight. <laughs> it took a while for me to almost like sort of get my poker face together in the sense Which, of... Which, to those still listening, we're a long way in, but Mary Margaret lives in a poker face. <laughs> she is... is uh, no, I she's just... She's stoic. I don't know. And, and I think the times that I chose to embrace, like, you know, the, oh, yeah, like, I do, but whatever the, you know, brief conversation was of like oh yeah we do have one and it doesn't go any further than that you don't have to explain that they're not with you or whatever or whether it was like oh yeah usually the follow-up question that forced me to say that I lost Anna was oh well how old are they and I'd be like oh "Oh, well she was born you know in January but you know we lost her I was eight months pregnant and I was just continually overwhelmed with the lack of awkwardness from people and the sort of grace extended and not that people didn't skip a beat like it clearly impacted them um but people were gracious to say like oh you know i'm really sorry and it it wasn't a big deal like i thought it was going to be um and maybe it's more of a reflection of me projecting my own inability to maybe receive those comments well that it would have been awkward for me to receive like a, oh my child died i'd be like oh and have no idea what to say where it seems like most common people know how to respond appropriately when um we, we lost in i was teaching but i was working as a volunteer coach at vanderbilt for their track and field team and um you know i spent several months going over there and vanderbilt only has a women's team and so you know it's a small team and a lot of, i worked with the jumpers and the jumpers would ask you about yourself and you know, I have a wife, and we're expecting a child, and the whole deal. And they were just the greatest. And um, 
No, we lost Dana, and they were the best. They were the best when I came back. They were just the absolute best. And I actually looked forward to going to going there every day. Um, when we got back into town, um, you know, I saw the coaches, and they just walked over and just hugged me. And now, granted, these are really good coaches and really good athletes, and so they don't want me bringing us in to their practices. But they were, they were, they were kind um and warm and it was such a um i felt a a great i don't know for two hours every day i got to not worry about it and think about it i just got to kind of treat the you know treat the athletes like people hope for the best for them i began i think it was a mercy um you know uh, this idea of i lost a little girl but i got to I got to coach an all-girls team. I, not the whole team, obviously. I was just you know, it wasn't a big deal. But And I kept thinking, if this was my daughter, how would I want her coached? And so with every athlete, I just got to give them my best. And and then kind of like a, you know, coaches, not, not a, I mean, it's my experience at Vanderbilt, they weren't, you know, track coaches in general aren't yellers. It doesn't do you any good. They're not beraters or yellers. It's not like football or even some basketball coaches, but. I'd be like, you know, just look at him and say, well, I think you're doing this. I think you could do this better. And uh, I'm proud of you. And you can, you know, go do it. Right. Um, and, you know, I just, that was an, that was a, an area where I, I didn't have to discuss it. But they knew because, mm-hmm. because they were told. And, and some of them would say, how you doing? You know, how are you? And I would say, you know, today's been a rough day or today's been a good day or I'm just really glad to be here, that kind of thing. Um, so uh, let's talk about what it's like to have another child afterwards. Was that something that you wanted to, you, you said earlier, um, you didn't want to wait a long time to have another child um, without going into the deep evolutionary and metaphysical conversations of why do you want to have children? <laughs> um did you want to have a child immediately after? How far after? Um, what was that, that um, impetus? Was it? And if it was just instinctual and it was just something you wanted to do, you don't deserve an explanation. You can just want it. I just was curious to, to your feelings on it. I don't know. I mean, you and I had had conversations about what our family would look like and having children. I don't know. Probably from before we were married. Um. And not so much that it, that intensified the desire to have a kid. We just were somewhat planners and knowing that, you know, with my training that impacted the amount of time we had with each other and we wanted to be married for so long before we had a child. And so I feel like the point at which we entered into, you know, trying to have a family, we were, you know, ready at that point. And so I think after losing Anna, I remember talking to my obstetrician and you know she counseled us in like waiting six months and again you know Anna was planned and I'm doing the calculations in my head of like okay we, we wait this long and pregnancy is this long and my boards are x date my fellowship is <laughs> we had planned Anna to be born during my spring break <laughs> so I could keep her and then maybe take a week off yes <laughs> and then bring in one grandmother and then another grandmother which would get us to summer break <laughs> and then 
and it was all just shit. Like, right. and so then we start thinking about the next child and. And so with that, I mean, you know, the obstetrician said, wait six months. And I was like, not happening. <laughs> like, because basically at that point it would have been, you know, a baby at the time I was trying to take my board exams, which clearly is not possible. And delaying my boards was not really an option, again, because I had committed to this. Board exams are like taking the bar exam, but you have to do it a lot. Do you take two exams, two boards? Yeah. It's just, a, it, it's out of medical school. It's out residency it's the thing yeah, that says yeah, yeah. we approve this doctor yeah, to practice you want in this your doctors field. to be board certified <laughs> right um and mine were just at the very end of training not all physicians are at the end of training um anyway so in our calculations it was like you know can't wait six months you know she advised you have to wait at least three months and so i was like okay um you know like i explained before i i think once we had decided that like we wanted a child. We were ready for a child. You know, the next thing was just to try again when it was, you know, safe physically for me and my health. Um, but I I don't ever remember thinking, like, this is just replacing Anna or this is an attempt to, like, fill a void or sort of salve the, the, the wound or... Anything like that, I think it was just a desire to, to have a family. Um, and I think in wanting to, you know, have a family and get pregnant, obviously all of our fears had been realized with the prior pregnancy. While those fears weren't gone, um, it, it was a little bit of like, I think I used to do it. Um, when you say it, what do you mean? Having a child. Oh, okay. I thought you were meaning the conception process. I thought, <laughs> right. you, were, I thought you were going to talk about right. that for no, a while. No, no, no. no. Okay. No. All right. Um, just wanted to have a child and, and willingly sign up to be pregnant again. I mean, I knew it was going to be not without angst and anxiety, but I think um, our OB was really great about giving us sort of targets and you know, increased monitoring, things that we can do, and whether that gave me a sense of control or just the idea that maybe we were going to be able to pick up something that was a problem earlier on if there was going to be a problem. Um, however, <laughs> our son started moving around 18 or 19 weeks and never stopped moving, so I never had to worry He still hasn't it. stopped moving. Um, so Even in his sleep when he was an infant, he would have, was it his hand or his foot? His foot. His foot. Just kind of twitch. <laughs> Which we should have realized pretended for a very active child. Um, yeah, I from a father's perspective, I think the, the whole process of losing Anna and... Jim Gaffigan has a great bit. He, he does it on his stand-up. He also does it for CBS Sunday Morning, which was hilarious. But... Um, <laughs> he's talking about, let's celebrate Father's Day. Where, um, you know, go watch the bit. I'm not going to, I can't do the stand up, but if I could, I would be Jim Gaffigan and making, you know, the money he makes. But like the only thing you have in the whole process is the, is the time of conception. And then, <laughs> then the mom carries it for nine months and carries the child for nine months and then it goes on. But at the same time, God, that lack of control, that lack of ability to affect anything. Um, it's just, and then losing Anna was just, just 
devastating. And so having, um, you know, conceived our next child and I guess waiting, it was the longest eight months, carried 36, seven, seven, seven weeks. Um, the grace notes I remember from that was you told me we were pregnant. Can I say we were pregnant? You, yeah. you were pregnant? We were pregnant? I don't care about the distinction. Um, <laughs> on Father's Day, which was like the greatest thing ever. Um, it was so awesome. Um, which typically, I have to go back and look, but this is going to sound silly. I, I'm a bit of a golf nut in the... U.S. Open is typically held on Father's Day weekend. The you laugh, but the well, I laugh the major because bef- I remember that our anniversary is near Father's yeah. Day, and you remember the golf tournament near Father's Day. Um, <laughs> the year the the first major of the year is the Masters, and there was a man who wrote for CBS Sports about losing his child that year. Oh right. Um, in the same way we lost Anna, and. Uh, I remember my buddy sent me the text and he said, yeah, you know, he just sent it to me. It's what we do. We just send a link and he pops up and you read it. And I didn't read it because I was like, I'm watching the Masters. And then I read it while I was watching the Masters. I made it halfway through and I just started, you know, bawling. Um, his name's Kyle Porter and he wrote about how he got to play Augusta National. Um, for some reason and it was not long after he lost his child and how you know the years mark our mark our time and, and, and what happens in a year and the whole thing and, and reflecting on it and, and then the next major that came up at that time uh so two months later was the u.s open and and mary margaret on father's day gave me a card that said we were pregnant with our next child and i didn't cry and i didn't I didn't yelp. I just felt so happy. And I think Mary Margaret alluded to it, but it wasn't a replacement. And I think that's kind of what I want to get across. That losing a child, you don't lose your child. Like, you lose your child's presence, but I don't think you lose your child. Um, and so having another child... Um, and, and going through another pregnancy, it was just the best. It was also the longest. Um, and that kid, he's almost four now, has probably felt the brunt of like very intense parents, <laughs> <laughs> um, at least through the first two two years of his life, just trying to do everything right. Um, because it just feels like every moment is held captive you don't put all your hopes and dreams on him. I don't put all my hopes and dreams for him that I had for Anna on him. I have, I have a wild imagination and dreams of who Anna is and um, who who she was and is. And um, the only thing I was worried about was the pregnancy, um, because Langston—that's our son—is distinct, distinctly different than Anna. And. And I wouldn't conflate them. But I was worried about Mary Margaret. And I was worried about the pregnancy. And so that's what made it feel so long. Um, when I finally... I think... I don't remember the time period. But when I... 
well, we had to schedule the induction and have a child and the whole deal. And I remember uh, one of the administrators where I worked was like, you are bouncing off the walls. It was like the Wednesday before <laughs> the weekend in which we were going to have Langston. Because I got steroids. No, me. Oh. Like I couldn't sit still. Like the days saying. I could, I would just <laughs> stare at the clock. I would walk <laughs> around when I had a bike. You know, a, a, a bi period. That's that's football by week. Um, <laughs> a planning period. A planning period. I would just walk the halls. I would just walk around. I was like, just give me my my child. Um, and I wasn't I wasn't scared. Um, I just wanted him. And uh, that's what it was for me. That's what it was like to to go through that break. I know it's totally different for you. Um, I don't think. But you're I. It is. I don't know. I, it, it's normal. I think it's worth pointing out that, I don't know, about 30, 33 weeks, you had a point where you didn't feel Langston move as much, and mm-hmm. you got really upset, called me. We went to the hospital, and then uh, we went to the doctor's office, mm-hmm. put the monitor on. He was okay. Mm-hmm. It was just scary. It's normal. It's normal to be scared about something like that and to have those feelings. Mm-hmm. Um this is something I didn't prep you for on the spot. How do you remember Anna? How do you remember um, How do you remember her? And do you feel like she, there's there's a lasting I say gift that she gave you? That's not the right terminology, but like um, you know, she's never really gone from us. Is there something that stays with you because of her um, that you didn't have before? So I guess the first question is, how do you remember her? And is there something that stays with you um, that's distinct from from having her? Um, I mean, how do I remember her? I mean, after delivery, we had almost you know a full day with her, and um, that was awesome. I mean, really a quiet, peaceful baby. Um, I don't know. I mean, I have very distinct memories of holding her right after she was born and just kind of, I don't know, rubbing her hands and touching her face. And, um, I knew that we would have pictures that I could remember what she looked like. I wanted to remember what she felt like. Um, I I knew she was small, but I don't remember thinking she was just like itty bitty teeny tiny. Yeah, I don't remember that either. Um, she just felt like a baby. Um, I don't know. I knew even I just remember her. Being, I mean, being without flaw other than, you know, she wasn't alive. Um... Yeah, I mean, we kind of kept her bundled up and family held her. And but I remember doing footprints, and I can't remember if we did handprints too, and but kind of unwrapping her at various points. And uh, she had long legs and she had big feet and long toes. The and, biggest feet. Um, I don't know. I mean, I remember dressing her and having 
sort of various baby paraphernalia, outfits, um, swaddles, hats, things like that. I remember how skinny she was. Mm, long and skinny, yeah. That's why I don't hold babies often. <laughs> right. I remember holding her and thinking, wow, she's she's long. There's a lot of her. But also being like, she's, she was very light because she was so early in her, mm -hmm. in her um, gestation. Mm -hmm. um, remember how fragile I thought she felt? Maybe it's because I could feel, you know, her, her shoulders and her, her arms and stuff. There wasn't a lot of heft to her. There's lack of tone. Lack of tone. Yeah. <coughs> um, I remember how she smelled for months afterwards. Mm -hmm. I would remember her smell. I would, it would like. I don't know if it was something um, like a, her blanket or something that just kind of like would catch my nose or mm -hmm. or if it was just a memory that was imprinted that would kind of trigger. But I remember, I mean, I would just, I would get it, I would get it that, that regularly. Mm -hmm. um, um, I think it I think the the long term prospect of having a child, a stillborn child, is how is remembering her, but not feeling burdened by trying to prove. This is my my experience trying to prove that that we had her. Like I don't have. You know, every year she comes up, I think about how old she'd be or how old she is. Mm -hmm. But I don't have to, I don't have to throw a birthday party. I don't have to do something to say, hey, this is a kid, you know, a child I have. Um, but still my affection, my, my love for her grows. I feel warmly about her. At times I still feel sad I don't have her. Um. Still randomly, we'll watch show, hear a song, be driving and think about her, and get a little choked up. But it, to me, it feels more powerful than a memory. When I think about when I ask the question, what, what did she give you or leave with you? Um, it's more powerful than a memory to me, her. But it's not this feeling of, I used to think I had to, I had to create a foundation. I had to, I had to make a shadow box. I had to do these things to say, this is my daughter. This is who she is. Everybody needs to know who she is, but I don't feel like I have that anymore. It's just, I think getting to appreciate her and enjoy her. Um, The gift of having her, I think all parents get a new perspective on life, a little less about myself, a little more, a little more patience with, a, with less, you know, with smaller things, a little more perspective on the bigger things. I guess when I think about having her and, you know, what would be the lasting thing that you're going to have as a result of her, 
Oh, no, no, it's dead. I was going to mention this even in the process of grieving, but I guess it applies also now, probably more so now. Um, I have a much deeper ability to be compassionate towards people. That could be happy, sad, excited, whatever. Um, that I don't think I had before. There's a certain um, humanity that I think maybe, I don't want to say I ignored, but maybe I didn't necessarily have the life experience to have the capacity for. Um, that I think I have now. I mean, made my job really hard going back at first. Um, and that, like I said, I mean, what I do is not necessarily all happy things, so diagnosing cancers and various things, I had this whole new weight and um, I don't know, kind of felt sorrow for people I just didn't even know. I mean, in my job, I'm looking at tissues, but I'm not dealing with the patients directly. Um, but I mean, I had that same compassion for friends and family and people I encountered that I didn't before. It's a little awkward at first when I could just cry for a random stranger. <laughs> but, um... I feel like I'm grateful for that aspect. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think I was, I wouldn't say this is the paramount thing, but it's certainly something that I recognized immediately was the systems in which we live, um, the medical system, how, how flawed it is, the, the family system. Heck, the transportation system, the ability to get on the interstate and drive, um, and get out of town before it snowed on us and just became aware and appreciative and grateful for things in life I took a lot for granted of um, and particularly the warmth of family and the embrace of family and the connective um, you know, network of people who who came to our aid Thank you. Thank you for your time and, uh, and your insight. And, um, you know, you're our first guest, but you're always welcome to come back again. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> I hope you find something to love, something to do. A song to sing, a tale to tell, something to love, it'll serve you well. <laughs>